This is The Cable. Big bid on 10-year treasuries over the last week. Tech story is front and centre. A lot of people are saying, no thank you, step back. You're saying, get in, why? Your connection from the London market close to the US market action. A significant sell-off in European assets. The dollar a little bit stronger today. This is a stock that is increasingly being shorted. The Cable. An historic moment from which there can be no turning back. With Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. Good afternoon, good afternoon to the City of London. You are listening to The Cable live across the capital on TAB Digital Radio. It's just gone 5pm in the city in London. Guy Johnson, myself, Jonathan Farrow, here in New York. Mr Johnson, how are you, sir? I'm very well. Um, The day started... Today's a really interesting day to me because we've had low volume here, John, in Europe. It was meant to be a day about trade and the good news on trade. That rally didn't last long, did it? Didn't last long at all. Session lows for the S&P 500 as we speak. We're down nine-tenths of 1%. Volume is a little lighter here, but with the emphasis on a little guy. I don't know how to read this. Sometimes I think we look for a reason as to why the market is down and can't really find one in the immediate sense. But over the last week, it's been quite interesting that the market has chosen to look through a raft of weakness in the economic data. Had a series of guests come on the show this morning with Tom Keenan and I saying, trim your exposure to equities. So I'm sure they're feeling good about themselves right now. We've had a very good run over the last couple of months, Guy. Yeah, and I really, I think the point you make about the data is fascinating. Overnight, really poor data coming out of South Korea, PMI number, poor data coming out of Taiwan. There is a lot of poor data out there. But as you say, the market is fixated on the positive, and that seems to be the prime driver. I just wonder what will be the catalyst to move them beyond that story. Is it actually getting a trade deal done? And and then we refocus on the wider narrative. We will wait and see. We will discuss this, I, I guess, quite a lot during this program. But we probably first should bring you up to speed with all the headlines that you need to know. He was in London last week. He's back in the Big Apple now. Charlie Pettit. Hi, thank you very much. Uh, Thank you so much, Guy Johnson. Nice seeing you. Here's what's going on. We've got UK construction contracting for the first time in almost a year as a lack of clarity about Brexit prompts builders to postpone decisions on projects. IHS Markets Index of Activity fell to 49.5 last month from 50.6 in January. First time it has fallen below the 50 threshold that indicates expansion since March of 2018. Despite the uncertainty surrounding Brexit, Chinese companies' commitment to the UK seems to be paying off. The 750 largest Chinese-owned firms registered in Britain saw revenue grow by an average 11.6% last year, according to a report from Grant Thornton. And Steven Spielberg is taking on Netflix. IndieWire is reporting that at this year's annual post-Oscars meeting, the filmmaker who's representing directors as an Academy governor will speak out against considering streamed films for awards. The entertainment news site says Spielberg believes that the streaming service should only compete for the Emmy Awards on television. And that is the latest from the news desk. Jonathan Farrow, back to you. Charlie Pennett, thank you very much. What was the highlight of the week away? Well, the, the, can I tell you about the low The highlight, of course, was taking you this plane. Low light was beating me. Light. No, no, no. <laughs> the, the, you <laughs> know what? That's highlight. what I should The highlight was, it was seeing and saying hello again to Guy Johnson in London. The low light, this because the, the only, the, the, this is the kind of stuff that happens to me. I checked into a 
nice hotel up in Glasgow, and uh, they gave me four <laughs> free drink coupons, you know, right? Which was nice. Guy, do you know why guy's laughing? Why? A nice hotel in Glasgow. No, yeah, come on. It was, no, no, Gla- <laughs> Glasgow, no, no. The four free drinks. Uh, yeah, okay, so let me pick it up there, because Glasgow, by the way, is a wonderful city. I love four Glasgow. Free I'm a massive fan. Yeah, right? It's just a happening, hip, vibrant city, a lot of fun. Were there four free drinks for the local uh, pub? Uh, at, at, the, at the hotel bar, right? So, I, you know, basically I'm good for a pint, and that's it. So I had three coupons left over. So what do you do? You hand them out to other people in the pub. There was a young group of three that came in. I was sitting at the bar, uh, and I said, you know what? Here's three free drinks for you. So they took them, they smiled, and then you know what they ordered? Orange juice, Coca-Cola, and coffee. And I felt like saying, <laughs> come on. I, I you know? thought you were about to say mixed together with some kind of alcoholic no, drink no, associated it just, with it's it. It's like, and, come on, you know, no. you could have any drink at the bar. Anyway, so that, that, that to me was the low light. And if that's the low light, it was not such a bad trip. Well, what was the highlight? Highlight was getting on this two-minute plane ride between you Westray and Papa Westray. Yeah, it was great. Absolutely fantastic. What was the plane? Uh, it was a uh, Norman Britain, I believe, is the manufacturer. Six seats, and uh, it was cloudy and it was wet. We got up to 500 feet, turned around, landed, and then, <laughs> uh, and, uh, in two minutes it was done. So it was- How was the plane full? Uh, I think there might have been one seat at the back there, but you got to realize this this this, this service. It's not for tourists. It's lifeline to get from one island to the other airline. Okay. Uh, teachers, social workers, medical people, that's who use this service. But it's a long way to go. Stopped off in Kirkwall. That's another wonderful little town up there. Did so you? much history. You know, I just, can I, did, did Charlie Pellet get bumped on the way home? No, you know what? I was trying, and uh, I, 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 I got to the airport early just in case. They had 60 open seats on the, on the flight home. Wow. So, uh, yeah, the good news is there was nobody sitting next to me. So, uh, you know. You left Miss it, Mrs. Pellet behind on this trip. Yeah, and you know what? Good for her staying behind. You don't. Last thing you want to do is go go on a on an avi- any theme trip with, with someone who no 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 with someone who doesn't <laughs> want to be there. And you know what? I, it's like oh, I so you're happy she didn't come? Uh, totally. And you know why? Because when I got to Glasgow, <laughs> Glasgow, by the way, their underground system they call it the subway there. And I got to ride the underground up there. Got to do you know, ride the tram in Edinburgh. So you know, it was a lot of transportation related stuff. You're so lucky the show airs in London. And not in New York. Well, I know, but 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 you know, is I mean that that was the most amazing to me, most amazing thing in Glasgow. They call it the subway. They don't call it the underground. Third. So, so do you feel? Are you shooting for a job here? Where in London? I would love to. Well, work no, in the London. subway. The, the sub- voice of the Glasgow. No, Glasgow not. subway. Absolutely not. Absolutely, you want you want a Scottish announcer to be in Glasgow. You uh, you've got great announcers in London, and uh, absolutely not. So. There is a very famous but, comedian called um, John Mulaney here in the United States, and I've actually been to watch him. He's very very funny. He hosted Saturday Night Live on NBC. Did you catch any of that, Charlie? I did. Somebody sent me the link today, and there was a subway reference. Because he had a bit of a dig at your voice on the subway. He did. To those who don't know, Charlie is the voice of the New York subway. And The funny thing is, Kai, when I was in London, what I wanted to do was grab the microphone on one of the platforms there and and say, mind the gap, mind the gap, and see how that would go over. You should start a Twitter account, the voice of the subway. And you should tweet John yeah. Mulaney and have a go at him. Yeah, well, I'll leave it at that. So, anyway. All right, good to see you. You too. Thank you very much for asking, and uh, it's good to be back. We but won't I gotta, ask again. I, I can't tell you how much I love London, so it was, it was great I'm, to be there. I'm with you. Do you know my, how much my, I, I miss the city my, so my much? My feet are so tired from walking around. So I, anyway. I miss the square mile immensely. Yeah, it, it was, and, and i got to tell you, there was a Gordon Ramsay restaurant that I almost went to there. There was some <laughs> place. <laughs> I know, I know. That's, that's the highlight. <laughs> I, no, and then I saw this line, guy. I saw this line for some butcher nearby the Bloomberg studio you familiar with that the lines were like so long to get yeah. into that place what well, butcher's that 
It's a little. There's a little butcher um, up at the end of uh, Bow Lane, and and it's packed every day. People uh, the in lines there. are ridiculous. The, the, I, they I do hot food every day. Yeah, people could, aren't going in there for for sausages. Well, they are cooked ones, but yeah. couldn't couldn't believe. Oh, how. they do the sandwiches. Yes, I think yeah. it has to be. The, yes. the lines are ridiculous. I know. You'd, the have, one. I, you'd have been. Yeah, you'd have been. It, uh, Crook will take you. One of the producers here is obsessed with the place. Is he? John's former producer. Is he eating bread? Yeah, he is. Yeah. Oh, I thought he was on that muscle building diet. No, I think he probably is, but but he occasionally mm. has a, a bit of bread in there. Yes, Usually just bread. the chicken. Good for him. Just the chicken. Charlie, yeah. thanks. You've taken up the whole segment. Yeah, my my about pleasure. Trip. I know because China's all solved, Brexit's all resolved. It's so fine. Yeah, nothing else going uh, on. Bloomberg's Luke Coward dropped by for a chat about markets. <laughs> I, I was going to be late, so I, I, I just could have been. You know, you could could have been late. <laughs> I mean, you could have yeah. really taken your time. Uh, next up on the programme, we will talk about markets. A fascinating session. I actually woke up this morning when I logged onto the Bloomberg. I thought it was really interesting to only see the S&P 500 up a handful of points after the same old headline we've got used to, the Groundhog Day headline that we're closing in on a trade deal. Perhaps the FX market was the most constructive asset class of the whole market globally today. The Aussie dollar was barely firmer by a tenth of 1%. The Chinese currency was only just a little bit stronger. And in fact, the whole of the FX market was a dollar strength story, really, (laughs) even though the president of the United States said that's exactly what he didn't want, guys. So maybe that was kind of the... The signal that this market is becoming increasingly desensitised to some of the headlines. Well, I think it's becoming desensitised to the trade story. And although, though that said, the Chinese equity market rallied pretty strongly. But I think that's probably more to do with what's happening in China uh, than the trade story. But but yeah. the fact that the dollar went up today, I just that was that that really tickled me. I really enjoyed the fact that the president came out over the weekend, wanted a wanted a uh, a weaker dollar, and got exactly the opposite. More on that next. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. It is uh, 10 past five in the city of London. Over the weekend in America, the president of the United States effectively tried to jawbone the dollar lower. This despite actually U.S. trade negotiators apparently asking China not to manipulate their currency. Luke Cower, cross-asset reporter at Bloomberg News, joins us now. Luke, what shall I make of the fact that the dollar is higher? I, in, in some ways, this is a little bit of a snub to the president, isn't it? A little bit, but like that, that assumes you put any kind of faith or stock in what was clearly a very political speech to to CPAC, you know, the the Conservative yeah. Party Action Committee. Uh, essentially, that was that was red meat for the base. That's I think it's been actually interesting. The president's kind of adapted his rhetoric more when he's during the State of the Union when he talked about the two major risks. They were basically obstructionist Democrats and you know obstructionist Democrats that are investigating me. He didn't even scapegoat the Fed there. So what that tells me is this is just more, you know, expanding the list, what people want to hear. And I, I don't think drawing a link between that and anything we're seeing in the market is probably too helpful. Today. Well, the market's not listening to him. Um, that's for sure. And that's pretty evident in the price action today. As Guy and I were discussing before we went to the break, Luke, it is quite interesting that this market is becoming very desensitized to any incremental trade headline that's reported. If it's some positive, happy talk, it used to be a fairly, fairly risk on story. A fairly good risk on story. I don't see that anymore, Luke. Yeah, no. So not even just this most recent Sunday open action, but the the Sunday before that, when we had our kind of first burst, we're we're down, uh, you know, over a quarter of a percent since then. And even then, you got the signs. We were up only about as much as half of a percent uh, off that open, and it was just like, okay, that's that's it, really. Okay, I'm I'm going. Uh, I'm logging off. And enjoying the rest of the weekend. 
did the same thing yesterday. And it to me, it just seems you know more clear that positive headlines alone are not enough to break. I feel like the uh, the White House is almost watching this resistance level on stocks and trying to get something that'll break us out of this range to, you know, above that 2810 firmly to the upside. And it's just it's just not happening. The happy headlines are not powerful enough for this range. Well, I, I OK. We talk about the fact that the, the market has been desensitized to this and that it's not powering us through this 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 key kind of 2800 level on a in a fairly convincing sort of manner. But but the argument around that must be we've priced it in. Like what we've had thus far is priced in. So you keep banging away with the same narrative. Are you going to get a trade deal? Yeah, you've told us that. We already know that. So my question is, therefore, if we actually get a trade deal, if it actually turns from talk to action, how does the market react to that point? I think uh, more and more there's an emerging consensus that any actual realized final trade deal, yeah, sure, yeah, it might be positive for stocks, but it'll be more negative for bonds, treasury bonds in particular, than it is positive for stocks. I think people's minds are starting to switch to the asset classes where it hasn't been quite priced in and some of the cross-asset ripple effects that you could could get from that. Which might explain why treasury yields broke out last week, even though the data was was a bit soft, Luke. The, the sovereign debt market's got a bit of catch up here. If you think, if you do think that the data is going to catch up and be positive too. Yeah, I think I think you had Priya Misra at TD on this morning, who who essentially said, "She's yeah, fantastic." Yes, yeah, so I love Priya, and I think she was kind of banging on in that, like this is this is the place that needs to catch up. And you know, as long as we're all about pricing out the adverse, the worst case outcomes, two outcomes that can probably get priced out or probably should be getting priced out based on the news flow is the odds of a Fed cut this year. That that should probably be getting priced out of the market and the odds of material escalation in the US-China trade war. So in as much as those factors have been creating a bid for treasuries and especially at the long end, a bid for duration, that that's probably something that should be moving the other direction. But but okay, that's fine. But in, in global terms, the data are still bad. I, why are we ignoring that? I think we're ignoring that because we're trusting financial markets to be forward-looking. Uh, and the the hopes are that uh, we're reading into a month of Chinese credit data and some, you know, barely, barely that much of a definitional shift from Xi, but we're reading into that as Chinese revelation is on and we're going to see it. Yeah, the immense faith in the Chinese policymaker. I just wonder when that te- faith will be tested. I'm not saying it's today, but it'll be interesting the next couple of days when we hear from the Chinese. That starts tomorrow with the National People's Congress. This co- conversation continues. Live from London and New York, this is The Cable. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable, live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. You are listening to Bloomberg Radio alongside Guy Johnson. I'm Jonathan Farrow. A fascinating couple of days in markets and Luke Cower joining us to help us try and break it down. Luke, as Guy points out, we've been looking through weak data for a while now. Last week was fascinating. Weak data point after weak data point after weak data point, not just out of China, but out of Europe as well. Even a little chink in the armory of the United States economy too yet markets carried on grinding higher. When do we start to test the faith that some people have in the policymakers' ability to stabilise the situation? 
I think that faith is being tested in terms of how we talk about macro versus micro and the markets. I think most of the discussion, even as the data have been bad over the past couple of weeks, have been, you know, positive noises on trade, China reflation starting. And I think the more we switch back to, well, what's happening to U.S. earnings estimates? Are they still going down? You know, Q1, we we, we had solid growth in Q4, but Q1 probably uh, not going to be that good and not going to be that good for corporate earnings. The more the narrative starts to switch over to that, I think that's more what challenges the market than data continuing to be, you know, a little weak. How much more is the market anticipating out of China? As John says, like we're putting a great deal of faith in the Chinese authorities' ability to, to sort of get the economy going. Uh, Premier Li Keqiang is going to be speaking overnight. He's going to be kind of laying out the economic report uh, to, the, to the conclave that takes place in Beijing over the next three days. I, he's expected to deliver like VAT cuts. Um, he's expected to announce other kind of elements that the Chinese authorities are going to put in place to try and stimulate the economy. Like, kind of, how much more is the market expecting from the Chinese? I don't know if it's that the market's expecting more or the market just needs to see that something is indeed happening and it is indeed showing up in the data. I think like the, the loosening of brokerage restrictions and uh, you know opening up margins, that was something concrete that helped markets in particular. I, I think you see one point I, I've latched on to in what's been bandied about in terms of what we might get from China is special bond issuance r- related to uh, you know essentially infrastructure buildouts and that old kind of Chinese stimulus. The the amount allocated to that is expected to go up in a big way, and that kind of comports with what we've seen in infrastructure approvals uh, for you know things that should trickle out over the next three to six months. A big spike there. So I, I think this is more the market just needs to see that. What China has announced is actually happening, that the transmission mechanism isn't completely broken. And, you know, maybe there's less of a sell the news aspect with China than there is with U.S.-China trade talks. The endgame fear here, the ultimate endgame that everyone worries about and ultimately considers it to be one big tail risk, is that we do get to this point where the diminishing marginal returns of the extra unit of debt become so, so great that China is just pushing on a string, Luke. Now, that's end game stuff, but there is a slight concern that every time the Chinese do this, back away from deleveraging, come back with more credit, come back with more stimulus, they're getting less bang for their buck. And we're seeing it much more so this time around. When I hear people tell me on whatever show I'm on at any given time, just wait, just wait, it will work. It kind of makes me think, well, hang on a minute. It's taken a lot longer this time around. We need to think about that. Why is it taking so much longer for this stimulus to work? What is happening with the transmission mechanism? And is China inching, inching towards that end game that everyone fears? Two or two or three reasons, I think, why this time has been different on the China stimulus front. One is the nature of the stimulus. From the onset, uh, when we were talking about this last July, we were talking about personal tax cuts. Uh, that is not the kind of traditional infrastructure spending that shows up a lot more quickly and is you know a lot more credit uh, intensive and you can you know direct it make it happen a lot sooner. Uh, a second one would be I think you know RRR versus actual benchmark cuts. They haven't really pulled the monetary lever lever as much as they could and in part I think that's because you know you worry about the effect of the currency a little more that way the currency has become very you know politicized and tied up as a you know important linchpin in these trade talks and then number 3 they've been trying to fight two very contradictory battles 
for the past year in terms of deleveraging uh, versus trying to stabilize growth. And that's why I, I don't think that in past rounds of Chinese stimulus, deleveraging was really ever a priority at all. So those three big things are different. Well, it's interesting. So there's been this debate that's been floating around over the last few weeks about modern monetary theory and whether or not the US can just continue to pile on the debt. Is is China any different? Can I, In some ways, China has a command economy. It can print its own currency. It can do what it wants. I'd be interested to see what comes out of the trade story on this front. But is China? can China just keep going with this? I appreciate what John says about the kind of bang for your buck. You could probably maybe make the same argument in the United States. But, but is there any limit to what China can do? Uh, in its own currency, like it's it's interesting. Like MMT is saying that the the main constraint uh, is not money. Money isn't scarce. What is scarce is real resources. And inflation tells you, oh, when you're you know throwing too much money and kind of overusing your real resources. In in China, the constraint is probably you know more related to the the government's power and kind of keeping the the populace happy enough. And I'm sure inflation is a, is a part of that. But China, is, when I've when I talk about MMT with people, we say, you know, U.S. has kind of practiced it, but China's really been practicing it, will continue to practice it. It just it lends itself a lot more uh, better to the structure of governance there. What are you looking for from tomorrow's meeting in Beijing? I, um, unless it's something I, I'm looking to see mainly how the market reacts to try and get a sense of more. Are we... Uh, you know, are we in sell the news territory on this, or is there a possibility that something that's really real gets us over the line? Luke Cowan, great to have you with us. Thanks for joining us. Actually, an interesting couple of days coming up. We have the National People's Congress in Beijing, where you get that annual GDP growth target guide, then the ECB yep. Thursday, and payrolls Friday. Yeah, I think all of those are going to be fascinating. Uh, I think Draghi, as we've discussed previously on this program, may try and dodge the uh, the Teltro story a little bit. But I think given the fact that we're going to get staff projections Thursday as well, uh, and those are likely to be downgraded, uh, I think he will I think he will struggle to completely get away with it. I, the, the consensus seems to be, of all the economists I'm talking to, that we're going to get a very strong hint that a Teltro is coming, uh, that the ECB is prepared to take further action. I just uh, Is that capitulation? from the ECB and then as you say we get onto pay payrolls on Friday maybe that'll be the kind of positive data confirmation that the market needs uh, to crack on and uh, push on when it comes to the equity story we will continue to discuss all of this John Farrow in New York I'm joining him here in London I'm Guy Johnson this is The Cable live on DAB Radio This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. You are listening to The Cable. It is 5.30 in the city of London. John Furrow in New York. I'm Guy Johnson joining him here in London. We are live on DAB Digital Radio. The S&P is now down by circa 1%. Over the last hour or so, it has dropped really quite sharply, uh, now trading at 27.75, uh, below that 2,800 level. We'll be back with some market analysis in just a moment. Before that, Mr. Charlie Pellet, over to you. Hi, thank you very much, Guy Johnson. Lots going on. Sources tell Bloomberg Britain aims to build an industry-leading car battery factory to accelerate a push into electric vehicles as Brexit and an overexposure 
exposure to diesel models hurt demand and jobs. The owner of the Daily Mail newspaper will distribute its stake in the publisher of Euro Money magazine to shareholders in a move that will tie the fortunes of Chairman Lord Rothermere closer to the company. Daily Mail investors will see some of their stock exchanged for Euro Money shares. And Electronic Arts says 50 million players have signed up for its Apex Legends video game in the title's first month. Further evidence that the free game is tough competition for Epic Games Fortnite. Latest from the news desk, and Jonathan Farrow, back to you. You ever played Fortnite? I have not played. My, I've, I've got a teenage son. He loves those video games. Spends so much time doing it. And uh, uh, how about yourself? No. No. Guy Johnson, no. you play? No. no. Very strong feelings about people that still play video games. Uh, older my children. Once they become an adult, I think it's something you should no longer do. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you on that. It's, you know, give it up, move on. Give it up and move on. A wasted time. Yeah, that said, you know, when I'm riding the tube, there I am playing words with friends like everybody else looking down on the phone. So why not? Charlie Pellet walked into the studio a couple of minutes ago with a Nero coffee card and Costa coffee card. <laughs> uh, no, why do you have them? I, what are you going to do I, with them? I, I forgot to take them out of my wallet. And the other thing, uh, well, Costa uh, Coffee could be coming to the states. Is it over there? Nah, because not yet. It's been it, bought by Coke, hasn't but, it? But but there's right because they got spun off from Whitbread, correct? Exactly. Yeah, and, and uh, which was the former owner or current owner? I'm not sure. Correct me, guy of uh, the Premier Brands, a uh, Premier Inn brand hotel chain. <laughs> correct. Only only you would have made that connection. But yeah, no, you're absolutely spot on. Yeah. And there's beer in there somewhere as well. So we'll when'd you go back? I don't know. You know, it all depends on the next time I get bumped in the United States. So that's the uh, that's a better question. When are you going back? Oh, so you make money from getting bumped? Yeah, and then go. And then you. Yeah, yeah. yeah fascinating. Yeah, yeah, and then hope I've that got I get no bumped. plans to be back for a while. Yeah. Although I will make it back, I'm sure at some yeah. point no, this I year. Just, I, I just had such a great, great, great. And you know what, guy? The other reason why I'm saying I had such a great trip. The weather, I would suggest, was A-plus while I was over Yeah, there. I think you picked the perfect week. Yeah, it was, you could I got have picked a better week. Unbelievable. Although flying up in Scotland, even at 500 feet, it was rainy and it was foggy. But, you know, I think that, that happens a what lot. What did you think Scotland. of our new, uh, our new headquarters? Do you like them? Well, it's funny because we're in a pretty swanky business here, a pretty swanky office here in New York. But the offices in New York look like Port Authority and Penn Station combined. So for any visitors to America, they will understand that reference. Uh, the offices in London are off Phenomenal. the charts, and, and just in terms, just fantastic. Yeah, and the, all sorts of you know. Uh, Guy art. sleeps there. Yeah, and can just yeah, one I don't leave. Uh, one little anecdote though. I, I don't know if you noticed this last time you were over there, and maybe Guy's seen this on the coffee machine there. They have an iPad that controls how caffeinated you would like your coffee. Yep. I haven't seen that. Yeah, absolutely fascinating. Well, I don't no, drink. If you're having I don't a drink caffeine, so well, can zero. I, can, I, can I reduce it? Well, to yeah, zero? yeah. I suppose yeah, you just could. have decaf. decaf. Yeah, I suppose you yeah. could. So, okay. kind of neat. Good anyway. to see you, Charlie. You too. Always it's great nice to have you back. In. Honestly, I did miss you a little bit. Uh, you know, I, I, I would say, you know, I was thinking about dropping in on the show on a Friday afternoon Actually, at half past really, five. I would really have appreciated that. Did you go up and look at the airplanes? I, I did not go museum. up to Duxford, the Duxford no. Museum. I did not get there after all. And, uh, you know, oh, of course, actually, you two have got a lot in common. You yeah, love, he, he loves airplanes. You love you know, airplanes. Yeah, yeah, and you know... It, That's really cute. And, and, you know, London, and I mean this in a nice... <laughs> London, in a nice way, um, is a time suck. And what I mean by that is 
walking around London, there are so, there's so much history. I stopped into a little church near Bloomberg just to get a snack. I could have spent two hours there sitting there using you went, Wi-Fi. What, you went to a church for a snack? Yeah, because they had a sign outside that said food in here. And it was, <laughs> I hope was you didn't like, take any bread. I think that's for the homeless. No, it wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't. Oh, okay. And, you know, you should, no, Charlie, I think it is. No, 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 no. It was like, it was like a snack bar. That's how they make money in there. They, oh, like you, you bought. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. And then, and well, then the, I, churches, the churches sometimes, uh, are in, uh, sometimes around here, they, they allow some of their grounds to be used for people to vend food, to sell food. I've yeah. seen that. They, yeah. they sell coffees and, and, at the front of the church. Exactly. And, and after I left Bloomberg, yeah. I wanted to visit St. Paul's Cathedral just to drop in and see. Do you know how, take a guess, how much do you think it is for one person to go into St. Paul's Cathedral? You know, I've Cathedral? never been in. Okay, so and, I don't and that's know. the reason why I wanted to do it too. I went to a wedding there once. Yeah, I ran whose wedding a- was that? Uh, it was a friend of mine who I used to work with. Sounds his, like a very high end wedding. It, I, well, I, no, I think his her father had some sort of status, some sort of royal connection, and as a result, a very high end wedding and, guy. And, <laughs> and it, it's funny because I took uh, Docklands Light Railway over to Canary Wharf just so I could take the Docklands. Only Light you yeah, right, would exactly. get the DLR <laughs> right, just exactly. to go and see Canary but, Wharf. But I met a woman on the train. For no where reason. Was, where was she going to? Does Mrs. Pellet know that you uh, met women on the train? I'm a lucky guy. What can I tell you? But she she ended up, she was going to St. Paul's Cathedral to a uh, to a wedding. So that was kind of interesting. But Guy, how much do you think it costs to go and visit St. Paul's Cathedral? 15 pounds. 20 quid. 20, 20 quid? 20 quid. What would you get for 20 quid? I didn't go in. I balked. I'm not paying 20 quid to go in. <laughs> I mean, it's, so it's, what you could have done, Charlie, you could have gone to the church next door to our office, which has a dome. And Sir Christopher, basically that church was Sir Christopher Wren's practice run at the dome that he then used uh, and scaled up for St. Paul's Cathedral. One, one quick note about history in the United States. If something is 100 years old in the U.S., we think it's old. You walk around London, you see signs that say, church, you know, demolished 1582, uh, you know, and then reconstructed in 1754. I mean, it's amazing how many hundreds of years this all goes back. So. Fantastic architecture. Yeah, it, it really is. Inspired mostly by the Italians. <laughs> <laughs> the Roman influence. I mean, very uh, much uh, so. Right, 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 right. The right. grand tour of the time. The the the, uh, yep. the architects of the time yep. went there and robbed the best ideas and brought them back. And it's yep. John and can it's never make up his mind if he's Italian or or, or from the Midlands. A bit of both when I'm over here. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, mate. I got to run. Thanks, go on then, Charlie. Great to see you. We've done it again. Got about a minute and 40 seconds on the clock in this segment. Remain Bostic dropping by to give his thoughts. Session lows remain. What's behind this? Uh, lack of confidence and lack of catalyst. I mean, what are you, you know, what are you trading on at this point? I mean, we've had a pretty remarkable run up. You're up 11, 12 percent here in U.S. markets. And uh, right now you really don't have anything else to uh, sort of move us higher uh, until we sort of get some sort of uh, a little bit more clarity on the economic picture and primarily on the Fed picture. Or on the trade picture, do we need a trade? I, there's a lot of kind of headlines out over the weekend, trades moving forwards. The market's just shrugged its hold, shoulders. Yeah, I mean, it shrugged its shoulders because, I mean, this all really does feed back into monetary policy. And, I mean, everyone you talk to in this market, no matter what topic you bring up, at some point in the conversation, it always ends up back on what's the Fed going to do? What's the ECB going to do? And until you know, investors have a little bit more clarity as to whether we're in a tightening cycle or an easing cycle or a neutral cycle or whatever it is, it's kind of hard to really, you know, place your bets one way or the other. Remain Bostick is going to stick with us as we count you down to some big events through the rest of the week. Tomorrow, the National People's Congress in Beijing, China, kicking off, going through to Thursday, where we get an ECB decision and a news conference with President Draghi. Then full speed into payrolls Friday, three big events for the week ahead. The S&P 500 session low 
close and down around about 1%. At the close today, the FTSE 100 also a little bit firmer off the back of the trade story, up four-tenths of 1%. We gave that up pretty much as soon as Europe closed. A little bit more on that a little bit later. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. It is uh, 5.40 in the city of London. Uh, John Farrow in New York. I'm Guy Johnson uh, joining him here in London. Uh, the S&P is, is moving away from the 2800 level. Um, just about every sector, I think, is in negative territory. Um, we are certainly seeing a significant sell-off in the healthcare sector, which is certainly adding to the downside uh, in this mix. Remain Bostic uh, still with John and I discussing what is happening in these markets. Remain, you talked about the uh, the Fed and the ECB just a moment ago. The ECB is uh, on deck on Thursday. We're expecting new staff projections uh, from the ECB, giving us a guide as to where they think the ECB, uh, where the eurozone economy is going. Mario Draghi is going to speak as well. Um, what what does he have to what is the market anticipating from draghi the eurozone economy is not delivering on inflation and it's not delivering on growth the data cumulatively around the world are not looking good and certainly the the eurozone economy is contributing to that at this point the, the fed moved markets massively is the ecb capable of doing the same thing i don't think so i mean everyone's watching this uh you know this ecb report coming up primarily for the economic data but it's primarily going to end up being confirmation of what a lot of people already know or what a lot of people already believe about the euro area economy and i'm not sure that as far as what sort of policy outline draghi is going to uh put out there is really going to move the market one way or the other unless he says something really extreme, which, of course, is unlikely. Very unlikely, though. He has to reach for something, Guy. I mean, his policy options are really, really thin. I know a lot of people have pointed to the labour market. I really struggle with this. I think everyone's clutching at straws by saying the labour market's okay, so the ECB's got capacity to do nothing. At the end of the day, the United States has had to stop hiking interest rates at the Fed because US growth is decelerating. Germany's just missed recession. I don't really care what the technical factors are behind that. Let's say the technical factors fade. It's hardly going to be a good year for growth, is it? Italy is in recession. The factory data looked absolutely terrible last week. The new orders component, terrible. I mean, we're rolling over by the most, I think, in about six years, Guy. I think the ECB's got to do something and quite clearly communicating that we won't raise rates for a long time. Not sure that's enough when nobody thinks they can raise rates anyway. Um... I do, I mean, I'm going to argue the other side of this, just just for for a laugh and see what happens. The ECB, John and Romain, has talked about the fact that a lot of the factors that are influencing the economy at the moment are transitory. And John, I take your point about the fact you don't. I, it, it's irrelevant the fact that that, that Germany skirted recession for a, for kind of sort of a, a few sort of smaller reasons. But but the ECB may look at this and go, you know what? We think the economy is going to turn around in the second half of the year. We think the data is bottoming out at the moment. Romain, is there any kind of straw that the ECB can clutch at this point that would indicate the data is bottoming out? And while extra stimulus would be helpful, it's not critically necessary 
to get the economy performing better in the second half of the year? Well, it's kind of caught between a rock and a hard place because when you do look at some of the consumer and household data, it shows you an economy that is, uh, if not healthy, at least it's not sort of spiraling out of control. But then you pair that up with some of the, the business and uh, uh, industrial and manufacturing type of indicators, and you are seeing a significant amount of weakness. So the question is, are they going to interpret that as uh, like you said, something that's transitory in the business sector that will then rise up and give another boost to households and consumers? Or is it just households and consumers are just sort of lagging uh, behind what we're already seeing in the industrial sector, which it seems to be what a lot of economists think is, is going to happen. And if that's the case, this isn't transitory. This you is the start of a decline. You are going to need a serious acceleration in growth to justify that stance. At the end of the day, it's not going to be President Draghi's problem, is it, nope. Romain? No, it's going to it's going to be the problem of the rest of the world, primarily the U.S. as well. And, you know, when you look at the declines or the weakness that we've been seeing uh, in Europe, in Asia, and then, of course, you're seeing a bit of softness here in the U.S. and you're having the same conversation in the U.S. now about, you know, a transitory weakness. Yeah. But again, you know, at what point do you have to start thinking about a long term downturn? Remain great to catch up with you. Remain Bostick there of Bloomberg. Coming up next on the program, I caught up with him earlier this morning, Russ Kostrick of BlackRock, who said it's time to trim your equity exposure. Boy, was that a good time to catch up with him because stocks were positive then. They are much negative now. Next up, we'll hear from the man himself. This is Bloomberg. When I'm lonely, well, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who's this is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening, 5.48 into the City of London. You are listening to The Cable. We are live on DAB Digital Radio, live from New York and live from London. John Farrow, a bunch of things coming up tomorrow. Um, US new home sales, Treasury budgets. Now, that's been delayed by the shutdown. We also get GDP data out of uh, out of Italy. Uh, we also get comp PMI data out of the UK. Also, what we're going to get tomorrow uh, is Premier Li Keqiang out of China updating on the Chinese economy. Look for headlines around that. Wednesday, it's the Beige Book. Thursday, ECB. Friday, it's the Employment Report, Mr. Farrow. It's a big week ahead. Exciting times for anyone interested in our world, financial markets and the global economy. Really interesting guy to catch up with, Russ Kostrick, a little bit earlier of BlackRock, who came on the program to say now is the time to trim your equity exposure after the strength of the last couple of months. Take a listen to what he had to say on Bloomberg Radio a little bit earlier on. You know, this may be the, you know, the most recent example of buy the rumor, sell the news. I think at this point, everyone has discounted a deal. The outlines are broadly known. Uh, So I don't think there's a lot of juice left simply on the fact that some type of trade deal is going to be signed this month. Are you waiting for the news or are you already selling the strength? We've been trimming. Uh, This has been an enormous rally. You're up about 20% off of the the Christmas Eve lows. You've seen volatility decline for nine or 10 weeks in a row. That has never happened before. It's not that things are not improving. The trade deal is important. Uh, Monetary policy in the U.S. has pivoted. But again, everybody knows this. And you've seen a very big rally predicated on those developments. Well, walk me through where where you're trimming at the moment and how your regional bias is shifting a little bit here. So we've been trimming a little bit uh, in some of our more cyclical names. Uh, 
despite the rally in the markets, the fact is there's still a lot of evidence that the global economy is decelerating. Now, to be clear, we're not expecting an imminent recession, but we are concerned about companies where their revenue, their business model is dependent upon the economy, uh, a growing economy, and you're just not going to get as much of a tailwind from the global economy as you had in 2017 and 2018. So what does that mean for the FX market? Push that through the FX market because so many people are struggling to make a directional call on the US dollar, largely because we've had a range-bound FX market for the last several months. Well, the, you know, the tough thing is you should theoretically be seeing a weaker dollar because the US economy is slowing. The Fed is arguably going to be taking a more dovish stance than you would have expected three months ago. But everywhere else is slowing as well, particularly Europe. So we're overweight the dollar. Uh, we're overweight the dollar, particularly against the euro, not because we're convinced you're going to see a hawkish Fed or a particularly strong U.S. economy, but because you're seeing an even faster deceleration right now in Europe. Can you buy blue chips here? I mean, over the weekend, people are recalibrating after, as you mentioned, up 20 percent in, in literally a cup of coffee. Can you actually acquire shares this morning or do you just have to wait for the opportunity on pullback? I think you've got to wait a little bit. You know, part of the challenge is that a lot of the names you would typically go to when you expect a slower economy are the most expensive. In other words, the defensive names, the lower vol names that people crowded into in December, that's where you're seeing many of the premium valuations. That's another area we're cutting, not because we don't like the model, we don't like the price. Have we solved the situation with the stocks versus bonds story? Both of those asset classes rallying together over the last several months, and many people ask which one would break. Looks like it was the bond market last week. It did a little bit, but, you know, to put it in perspective, you've got the 10-year 275. Uh, yeah. The yield is about 10, 20 bips above where it was in the lows in December. You know, yields just haven't moved as much as people thought. If you go back over two and a half years to where <clears throat> yields were in late 2016, they're kind of in the same spot. I think what you're seeing is a recognition the Fed is just going to end its tightening cycle at an earlier level. The terminal Fed funds rate is lower, and that's translating to the long end of the curve. Well, I'm using the word break quite loosely, admittedly, but last week was pretty interesting to me because last week we had a series of downside surprises on global yeah. eco data. If you actually look at the city global economic surprise index, that rolled over last week, yet treasury yields bond yields started to grind higher. So the question I was left asking through the weekend is whether the slowdown story has largely exhausted itself in core government bond markets. No, I think that's a, it's a fair point. And to me, it's still, there's, it's not just the sort of pickup in yields, it's the divergence between stocks and bonds because they were telling you different things. Uh, and as you point out, the economic data is still confirming the bond market narrative from January and February that you're not well, going to get a reacceleration in growth. Then how do you respond to the idea that bonds always lead stocks? There's a there's a among good equity strategists, there's a humbling reality that the bond market often indicates things earlier than equities. Do you buy that idea? I think there's some truth in it. And again, to the fact that you still haven't seen a very big pickup in yields, the fact that real yields are still well below where oh. they were at the peak last year, tells me the bond market is saying, look, we're just not going to get the synchronized global growth we thought we were yeah. going to get in early 2018. Do you see that 7.07.13 a.m. on a Monday and we're already talking the real yield? Fridays, 1 p.m. Thank you. Bloomberg TV. <laughs> I just, you know, Russ went right there. Well, you is, bring it is there early. Did. To wrap it up with buy gold, 
It's a call coming from Russ. I did not know that Jeff Curry buy, at Goldman Sachs is the same thing. Really? Why, long why, gold? Buy, why we, buy gold, We Russ? do have some gold in the portfolio. The question is, what are you protecting against? If you're protecting against an aggressive Fed, gold is not the place to be. Our view is the Fed is not going to get that more aggressive. Uh, you still have a world with uncompensated geopolitical risk. You have an environment where I think the dollar's probably in the trading range. Real yields, sorry, mentioned it again, are probably not going much higher. That's a decent environment for gold. You can watch Bloomberg Real Yield on TV and uh, listen to it on DAB Digital Radio as well at 5 p.m. 6 p.m. rather. 6 p.m. London time. 1 p.m. New York time. Just getting used to that. Guy Johnson in London. Myself, Jonathan Farrow, here in New York City, wrapping up a really fascinating day of price action. The same old headlines about the same old story generating... Very different returns this time around. You do not get the equity market rally off the back of the trade headlines and the optimism around that story. You end up with a sell-off to close out the day on the S&P 500. Stocks down by almost 1% as we grind towards the close in New York, three hours away. Our coverage will continue through the week as we count down to some big events. Payrolls Friday in the United States, an ECB decision, and tomorrow is all about China and China's annual GDP target. From London and New York, this was The Cable. This is Bloomberg Radio.